Last week, did we have any birthdays or anniversaries? Our Bibles and go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. And in Luke, chapter 19, I want to read the story of Zacchaeus. And we want to look at a man who wanted to see Jesus. Gospel of Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was of little stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half my goods I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man, By false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Jesus said to him, This day salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Come on, let's sing this prayer. Lord, prepare me. To be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. This man, Zacchaeus, he wanted to see Jesus. Now, the Bible is filled with a lot of stories that manifest the grace and the love of God. This is just one of them. When we take the time to think of others that certainly show us how people receive undeserved blessings, we think of someone like Mephibosheth. Bible tells us that he was a descendant from the house of Saul, a house that persecuted David. The Bible said that this man had lost everybody in his family, but he was living alone, essentially, and in poverty, and he was lame in both of his feet. But One day David woke up and he said, surely there's got to be somebody from Saul's house to whom I can do good. David had a good relationship with Saul's sons, Jonathan, and he wanted to be able to show kindness to one of them in the manner in which it was shown toward him. And they said, well, there is a gentleman named Mephibosheth, but he's lame and crippled, but he's living somewhere. And David said, bring him, and I want that man to sit at my table, and I want him to eat food that's made for me for the rest of his life. It was a man that didn't deserve that kind of favor, that kind of grace, because of how wicked his father and family had been. But yet there he was receiving these many blessings. 
We also think of Ruth. Here was a lady that was a Moabite. The Bible teaches that the Moabites were not supposed to be allowed anywhere within the vicinity of the tabernacle because of the manner in which the Moabites and Ammonites came into being through an incestuous relationship. This woman fell in love with an Israelite man. And because of that, she returned to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, having lost her husband. She ended up in the lineage of our Savior. You never know what God will do in taking our circumstances and doing something wonderful with them. Even when something has a terrible beginning, the Lord is able to take that and then use it for his glory and to manifest who he is. So those are just a couple of stories that show the grace of God. But consider this one. It teaches us that God was not opposed to empowering someone to become wealthy or to own material blessings. The last line of verse 2 says this man was rich. The problem with wealth very often is that if a person becomes possessed by their possessions, then they cannot steward them in the manner that God wants them to. In this particular case, this man was a publican, a tax collector. You know as well as I do that tax collectors were no popular at that time than they are right now. If anybody from the IRS were to contact you and say they wanted to audit your accounts, you would show no enthusiasm at all. In fact, in ancient times, the Roman government, they farmed out their tax collecting systems in their provinces. That means if we wanted to become a collector in their county. Multitudes of people would go to the Roman procurator or whoever the district official was, and we'd say to them, I'd like to bid on that job. I believe I could collect this amount of money from all the people in the county, and I will only keep back for myself and my family 9% of all that I gather. Then somebody else would come along and bid on that job, and they say, here's how much I'll raise, but I'll only keep back 5% for me. And the one with the best bid typically became the one that had the job. So this man, Zacchaeus, he had been a tax collector long enough to have become wealthy. And it shows us that his wealth was no particular help or aid in gaining in a relationship with God. But I also want you to know that from the scriptures, God called plenty of people that were wealthy. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, he empowered Solomon to become a wealthy man. But Jesus did say in Matthew 19, verse 24, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. He said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Now, the reason he said that is because some people hold on to what they have so tightly that they're controlled by the things that are within their clutches. They can't sleep at night worrying about it. They can't live during the day because they're consumed with how to get more and more. Yet Jesus, having made that statement, showed us that a person has to live a life with a harness upon themselves so that they can be governed by God. So here we have a man who was wealthy and he has made his way 
to where he can get into position to see the Lord. And I like the way he's done this. There are a lot of people that want access to spiritual life and they want access to powerful people that have a relationship with God. And people go out of their way to have some kind of connection with the supernatural. You realize that today somewhere in this nation, that in some big city, maybe Lincoln, maybe Omaha, that somebody wandered into some storefront place that said enter through these doors and we'll read the tarot cards and tell you your fortune. You understand that there are millions of people in this nation that cannot begin their day until they open the paper and read their horrible scope. Do you understand that there are people that think that their life is governed by the alignment of astrological stars and fortune or misfortune will come to them whether or not they live in accordance with that particular thing? So we know that people, they look for this. They had a revival in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. And the Bible says the blessing of God was falling like rain. People were being healed. People were being saved. People were being baptized in the, in, in the water. And the scripture says that there was one warlock or witch who, who seemingly came to faith. This man saw Peter and them laying hands on people and folks receiving the Holy Ghost. And he came over there and he said, I'd like to know how much money I could give you to have that power. Peter said, your money perish with you if you think you can purchase the gift of God. But yeah, people want access to spiritual life. There are folks that will go to some soothsayer. They'll sit down in front of some medium because they've lost a loved one or a friend and that medium will sit there and chant and close his or her eyes and then in just a few moments become the the conduit through which a voice supposedly from the other side is going to now communicate to someone. People sit there fascinated by witchcraft. And it should never be a fascination for us because anybody interested in witchcraft, it's a strange fascination to have. No doubt. So, yeah, people want access to spiritual life. This man, Zacchaeus, he's been in this nation for a while and he's a tax collector, but there's something in his life that's empty. And he's heard about this gentleman by the name of Jesus who's coming along. Jesus being the only way. The only truth, the only life, folks were interested. Now there is a, a illustration I could give you from John chapter 9. There was a man who was born blind, couldn't see. Jesus healed him. When the man was healed, he gave his testimony about how he was healed, and the people kicked him out of the synagogue. Having been excommunicated, he was on the outside sitting by himself, and the scripture says Jesus found him and said, Look, do you believe Do you believe on the Son of Man, the Son of God? And that blind man, who's now healed, he looked at him and said, I I don't know who is he. And Jesus looked at him and said, I, who am speaking to you and who healed you, I'm the one. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Afterwards, Jesus said in John 10, verse 1, anybody trying to come up into the sheepfold another way other than by me, he said, is a thief or a robber. You know what that means? There was a lot of religion in ancient times. There were plenty of religions that people worshipped in, but the Lord was making it very plain if there's going to be any connection with God, if there's any pathway to heaven, you've got to come through Christ. 
And when Jesus walked the earth, there were Buddhists eastward of Israel. When Jesus lived on this planet, there were thousands of Hindus eastward in India and places like that. But yet he made the statement, anybody tries to get in some other way, they're a thief or a robber. So Zacchaeus, of course, he's coming properly and correctly. And this whole story, as you can see from verse 1, is taking place in a village called Jericho. Now, what do we know about Jericho? Joshua chapter 6 gives the story. It says that this city was surrounded by a massive wall, a tall wall. The Lord said to Joshua, get everybody together. I've given you the city. Here's the battle strategy. You get all the armed soldiers, get the Ark of the Covenant, get the trumpeters, put them out there. And I want you to walk around that city one time every day and blow those trumpets. Now, they had to do this six days. Imagine if you were a Jericho warrior and you're up on the wall and you saw this massive group of people approaching you and you knew you're getting ready for a battle. And as you're waiting for some kind of an attack or for them to lay siege to the city, they get out there and silently all day long start walking. All around. And then finally, there's a trumpet blast and you're ready to do something. And the children of Israel maintain rank and file. Just keep walking. Nobody says anything. And then they do that the second day, the third day. All the way up to the sixth day. I'm sure those Jericho folks were thinking, these people don't know how to fight. What kind of a battle is this going to be? But on that seventh day, he was told, you're going to march around that city seven times. And when the trumpets blow, you're going to shout as loud as you can. And that's what they did. And those Jericho people were watching and paying attention. And they marched around again and then finally got to the trumpet blast. And then people shouted at everybody that were up on the walls. The walls start coming down. Children of Israel went in there and took the city. But in verse 26 of Joshua 6. Joshua, he said, I put a curse on this ground. Anybody that tries to rebuild this city will do it with the death of their firstborn. And he said, by the time they raise it up, their eldest child still be living. And so here's our Savior making his way through this place that had a cursed curse that was leveled against it. But I want you to pay attention to this. He entered and passed through Jericho. That means he didn't avoid it. He didn't take a longer route to go around it. He was not afraid at all of any land that had been cursed because Jesus knew he was blessed. You understand there are a lot of people in this world that are afraid of curses. There are many people today that are extremely superstitious about a lot of different things. But Jesus wasn't afraid of any curse that was placed on anything by man. And you should not be either. There should never be a time in your life where you're concerned with being afraid of some kind of a curse that somebody claims they placed upon you. Especially if Jesus lives inside of you. But there are plenty of people that... That say things like this. Well, I'll go to that hotel, but I'm not going to stay on that particular floor because people to stay on that floor, that's, that's bad luck. And so 
A lot of hotels have taken out certain floors so that on the elevator, when you punch the button, it looks like you're skipping that floor. And the people don't realize that the floor you actually stand on is still the same one you didn't want to be on. And think of all the people today that are afraid that when they're walking with a friend and they're going down the sidewalk, they're afraid to split a pole. I had friends that were kids when we were little. They were like that. If we were walking, somebody split a pole. They thought bad stuff would happen to you. So they turned around and go right back around the pole so we could keep going again. People afraid to step on a crack in the sidewalk because, you know, you step on the crack, break mama's back. Or or if you're staring in a mirror and then if you if it breaks and it all falls to the ground, seven years bad luck. There are a whole lot of people that are superstitious. How many of you know God never called us to be superstitious as Christians? I don't care where anybody says there's a curse. It doesn't matter how dark or how bad a place is. Jericho could be the name of it, but we that are Christians should never be afraid to go. And if somebody says to you, well, I'd avoid him or her if I were you, because they have a certain spirit on them. I think there's a spirit of Jezebel or something like that on them. You don't need to be afraid of that. The spirit of God lives in you and greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Don't ever be afraid. Jesus didn't take some alternate route to get around Jericho. He came to Jericho with the full blessing of salvation. Now, what do we know about this man Zacchaeus? We know from verse 8, he said, I give the half of my goods to the poor. If I've taken anything, I restore fourfold. We also know that Jesus told him in verse 9, today salvation has come to your house. That is to say, Zacchaeus, you are doing a lot of good deeds and a lot of good works, but you're not saved. Can you imagine not knowing that you're not right with God? That salvation has come into your house and he didn't know He didn't understand his spiritual condition. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it very plain that at one time we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of God. Then chapter 4 of Ephesians said we were alienated from the life of God through our ignorance. How many people are lost today and don't even know it? Cut off from God and don't even know it. This man Zacchaeus was looking for something that could provide some blessing for his life. And the fame of Jesus had spread to such degree that people were coming out to see him. He's chief of the tax collectors and all he wants is a glimpse of a man that's famous. We can tell from this that his motives were pure. He just simply wanted to see the king. He had influence and affluence. He knew people that might have possibly been able to gain him an audience, but his position and his wealth could never open up that door. He had no true conception of who Jesus was. And he could have been doing anything this day other than being out here on this road to see Jesus passing by. But he made a decision in his life that he wanted to be there. I'll never forget this. When Jesus is present, Any time that is occupied with other things or other people will impede your vision of him. You put anything before God. You put anything before the king. You remove the Lord from your vision. And I'm telling you, that imposition is going to be difficult for you to get around. Obstacles that that will hinder you from seeing the Lord clearly, you've got to dispense with. 
And it doesn't matter who it is. You need a clear conception of Jesus. If at one time in your life you used to get up early in the morning and spend time with the Lord, you ought to get back to doing that. If in the evening you used to spend time with the king, you ought to get back to doing that before you went to bed or go to bed. But don't let anybody become so important. Don't let any job, don't let any hobby become so significant in your life that it takes away the opportunity to see Jesus when he's passing by or ministering or moving. Now, this is one reason I don't ever mock or tease someone that has an infirmed child or a child that's mentally challenged or retarded or disabled and somebody loads them up in a car and drives them five hours to go to a meeting where they're praying for the sick. Because you never know what God may do. I'll never despise or try to hinder somebody who's got an unsaved loved one and they hear that there's a place where the gospel is being preached and hearts are being gripped and folks are being born again. If they say, I want us to drive three hours to sit in a meeting and hear the gospel, maybe my grandchild might be saved. I'd never try to stop that. Wherever Jesus is in manifestation... Wherever the presence of God is great, we should be like Zacchaeus and want to see him. We should want to be in that kind of presence. And this is what we find here. This man had no true conception of Jesus, but he wanted one. He had two things, and these two things were a lack of stature and a lack of vision. He wasn't tall enough. This man got in the midst of the crowd and being no taller than my wife, he couldn't see anything. He's just looking. He's trying to get an image of what what the king looks like. But yet, driven by desire, a man of high society climbs a tree. Now, when was the last time you saw somebody in their 40s or 50s or 60s climb a tree because they wanted to see someone so badly? Yeah. Parades come by. Kids get excited, but you hardly ever see any older person climbing a tree just to see a particular float that's coming by. But you can go to South America, you can go to Africa, you can go to places in Central Asia. And if there's an outdoor meeting and there's a great gospel crusade and somebody preaching the word of the Lord, maybe even praying for people, you will find 5,000, 50,000, a quarter of a million people out in open air spaces listening to somebody preach the gospel. And without fail, You will see multitudes of people sitting up in the branches of trees just so they could see the man or the woman preaching from the platform. Because they want to hear the gospel and see with their own eyes. That's how Zacchaeus was. How badly do you want to see Christ? What would you do in order to see the Lord in a greater measure in your life? What exactly would you do? This man was willing to peer out at a Galilean peasant from the branches of a shade tree. And he climbed up there. Some people say, oh, no, I I could never, never, never do that. Just, you know, this whole thing of trusting God, that's too rough. I could never I could never get out on the limb and take a risk like that. Of course not. If you're afraid to climb the tree. You'll never get out on the limb. But if you want God to do something in your life, you've got to be willing to go to extraordinary lengths like Zacchaeus did. God doesn't do the extraordinary for ordinary. 
You've got to do something that is outside of the bounds of normality if you want the blessing of God to be upon your life. And this is what we see. This is a great story. But we understand that no man or woman is beyond their need for Christ. I don't care how poor somebody is, how rich someone is. Everybody needs the king. Well, of course, he's passing by, so everybody's got to take notice. Can you imagine this scene? Jesus is making his way through that area. You know the disciples are with him. People are being healed as he comes and goes. How do we know that? Because the, the Gospels tell the stories of blind Bartimaeus being healed in Jericho. Tells the story of the two blind men being healed there in Jericho. I've heard some people say, oh, don't you realize that, you know, when stuff like this is talked about, that the Gospels just kind of mix up the stories and they're all convoluted. But I know a man in World Ministry Fellowship that serves with us, a guy named Charles Rogers. He told me one time when he went to Africa back in the 70s, he said a whole school of deaf mutes came out to hear him at the gospel crusade. He said there were thousands of people that showed up. And I said, well, Brother Charles, what happened? At the meeting, he said all the preachers were nervous. They didn't know whether or not the person who was doing the signing was going to get the message through correctly. But he said at the end of my message, when I prayed, he said more than 10 of those students ended up totally healed. I mean, Jesus didn't just have to heal one person at one time. He could heal as many people as he wanted to heal. He is God in the flesh. He was the king of kings on planet Earth. And so with that kind of stuff taking place, you know, people running throughout the village. Jesus is coming. Come now. People running out of their house. I mean, grabbing that stuff, putting it on, trying to get in position because they knew he was coming. I would have been doing that. I would have did everything I could to get along the side of the road. Maybe even had me a sandwich to eat as I was waiting. And just would have camped out. Waiting for the king to come by. That's exactly what they were doing. That's why there was a crowd of people that was there. This man Zacchaeus heard that he was coming. And with an emptiness in his heart that couldn't be filled by his wealth, couldn't be filled by his job, couldn't be filled by where he lived. He said, if I could only see him. And he came out there. So what what kind of a hole was there in your life that led you to seek God? What kind of hole is there in your heart now that hasn't truly been filled? Jesus being the only one that can feel it. And so this gentleman gets out there along the side of the road and he realizes he's not tall enough to get around all of these people and the mass of people is just too great. Jesus is coming. He's got to make a quick decision. And he made one. He said, I'll climb a tree. And that's what he did. And sat up there in the branches. It doesn't say anybody else climbed it with him. It just simply says he was up there in that tree. He's looking out at the king. Now, understandably, <clears throat> it's because of this tree that he was able to to, to see the, the king. And this, this demonstrates that God uses natural things sometimes to help us in our relationship with God or to help us in a display of the power of God. Well, Pastor, what, what do you mean? 
Moses was with the children of Israel in the wilderness. They came to a pond. The water was bitter. The people complained to Moses and said, Moses, you brought us out here to starve us to death and to kill us. Moses went to God and said, Lord, these people that you want me to pastor, they don't like me. They're ready to kill me. So the Lord showed Moses a tree. And Moses goes over to the tree and they cut the tree down. He tells the men, toss the tree into the pond. When they did, he said, drink now. The waters that were bitter were now sweet. Think of this lady, Deborah. She was a prophetess filled with the spirit of revelation and wisdom. She had a house that dwelt right under the palm tree. She sat there and the Bible says all the people of Israel came to her, men and women, to receive her counsel. Can you imagine what that must have been like? This woman with a spirit of prophecy is given guidance and direction to these elders and these men that have these very complicated issues. She's talking to them. And don't forget David. David said, God, I'm trying to get your mind on what I should do. And I need some direction in my life. Should I go or should I stay? And the Lord said, David, I want you to pay attention. When you're out walking through the forest, he said, when you hear a stirring in the tops of the mulberry trees, that'll be the answer to you regarding what you should do. Yeah, God, sometimes we use natural means in order to secure your attention and to bless you in a wonderful way and trying to give you direction. So in this instance, in this account, we have a sycamore tree and this tree brought blessing to this man. But I, I wonder, I wonder what, what would have happened if the tree wasn't there. See, would he have ever been able to see the Lord like he wanted. Well, sometimes we look back and we start doing the whole what if thing, but it doesn't do no good. Anyhow, God brings people into your life. God brings things into your life. And it's those things that bring blessings to you. I mean, sometimes even if you don't think it's a good thing. I was driving one time. Can't remember where I was going. I don't know if I was going to Beatrice. Might have been going to Beatrice. And this might have even been back when we were preaching there, but regardless, I ended up with a flat tire near Fairbury. And so I drove in to the little, little tire place. It used to be a church up on the hill there, and right across the street from the tire place. So I went to that, <clears throat> that tire place, and they replaced the tire while I was sitting in the, in the ladies, not the ladies room, but in the sitting room there. The uh, people in there were, you know, talking as one lady that ended up left in there with me alone, and um, she told me what town she was from, some little town between Fairbury and Beatrice. I don't know the little town. I drive through it all the time, but can't ever remember the name of the, the place, but, but I told her I was a pastor, and so we end up in a conversation, and there in the, in the thing there is I'm witnessing to her, I tell her about the Lord, and of course then right there in the waiting room, she gives a heart to the Lord. Telling her about Jesus, all because of a flat tire. Sometimes the circumstances of your life lead you into a position where you can minister to people and bless people. And you can help other people to see Jesus. Well, I guess this is what I'm getting at. Because of this tree, this man was able to see Jesus. And we want to be able to see Jesus in a person, in a church, we want to be able to see Jesus in our homes, of course. You can see
see him in a vision if the Lord came that way. You're certainly going to see him when you get to heaven. But first of all, we want to see him in a person. Jesus needs to be revealed in you. He needs to be revealed in me. People have to come in contact with a living Savior when they come in contact with you. Then at the same time in the church. Now some people will say, oh, I don't need to go to church. Why do I go to church? I mean, church is just filled with a bunch of self-righteous people and hypocrites and all that kind of a thing. And I just don't see any reason for me to spend my time in a place like that. And my response is always, I don't see what the problem is. One more hypocrite not going to make it any worse. Just get on down here. See? But, but the bottom line is the church really is not filled with hypocrites. The true church of the Lord Jesus Christ is filled with people that that are passionate and have an appetite for God. People that want to walk with God, wholeheartedly walk with God. And in reality, a church is full of forgiven people. Forgiven people. People whose lives were in shambles and the Lord started working to put it back together. Marriages that were falling apart and the Lord started putting them back together. Marriages that came together and the Lord is. Holding them together. People that had substance abuse problems. And the Lord brought deliverance to them. Individuals that may have had addictions of various kinds. And the Lord brought deliverance to them. People that lost loved ones and needed comfort and were lonely and needed relationships and community in a local church. And when they all get together, this is where they see Christ at. And they say, you know what? I want to keep going there. Because I see Jesus in those people. It's powerful. And when people have that kind of relationship with folks, it's hard to pull them out of that, you see. Very difficult to pull them out of that because they've seen the reality of Christ. I'm not just talking about being religious and just talking about going to church. I've told you plenty of times before, I honestly believe that religion was created by the devil to keep people from ever finding God. It's a mask, it's a fog, it's a haze that surrounds people and they can never see Christ. But they can if they do like Zacchaeus. Yeah. Years ago when Tiffany and I took some kids down to Mexico to preach, I had to go preach in a church that was in the middle of a, a uh, garbage dump. So all of the city refuse was brought to this one location That's where the church was at. So, you know, when you're driving in, as we were, there's a smell. But I'll never forget when we got there, there was a sow and a whole bunch of little baby piglets just out there eating that garbage. And little children, little toddlers, just kind of wandering around with hardly anything on but some diapers. And they're out there scavenging, grabbing this. And adults were out there going through all of that because they're, they're looking for food to feed their families. And so here we are with these young people. We've got to preach in this church. We've got to go up on the second floor. We've got these window panes, and there's no windows in it. That smell is everywhere. And I got up and preached, had some of the young people give their testimonies. And we just loved those people and, and was excited to be there in the midst of that place because someone needed to be there to preach the gospel. For other people, they say, I'd never want to go there. That's like Jericho. It's a cursed place. But somebody needed to be there because the people in that place needed to see Jesus. Well, that pastor told me a story. He said that we had a lady 
who lived not too far, however long it was from there, and she had a baby that died. And she said that lady kept hearing about churches and about Jesus and them people believe in uh, praying for kids. And rather than taking that baby to a trash heap and burying that baby, she brought that little infant wrapped up in whatever he was wrapped up in, brought him to Brother Mel and Mel and those people gathered around that little infant and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. God revived that baby. You think you could get that mama out of church? No, no. You couldn't get that mama out of church. So folks, I'm telling you, when God puts the hook in the jaw of a man like Zacchaeus, things begin to happen. And we know very clearly that because of this tree, he got a glimpse of Jesus. But we also know because of this tree, Jesus got a glimpse of him. This man stood out amongst the crowd because he climbed a tree. The one that goes to extraordinary lengths to show the Lord that they want to see him, that they want a visitation from him, that they want to experience him and understand him. That'll be the one that the Lord looks upon and begins to work through. That's why Jesus said, when I come back, will faith be found on this earth? Is there anybody going to be trusting me? That's what he's saying. Not just is there anybody going to synagogue or is there anybody going to church? Will there be anybody trusting me? And what are you willing to do? Are you willing to change your schedule, your calendar, your behavior in order to get a glimpse of the Lord in a powerful, in a wonderful way? Well, I guess I guess like this man here in this story, Zacchaeus, I want to be like him. But I guess also I want to be one of these sycamore Christians, you know. Maybe try to help people see Jesus in a better way. I want to lift people so that they'll get a clear conception of the king. So that when they leave the house of God, when they leave our presence, they can walk away saying, I know now that I can see Jesus clearer in this passage. And I want to see him in a stronger way in my life. Yeah, I think we should all be like that. Planted, rooted, grounded in love manifesting the kinds of fruit that other people can use in order to see the king. Then they can go home with the king. Jesus said, Nick, uh, Zacchaeus, get on down here. And you better believe when he said, get on down, it says uh, Zacchaeus made haste. You know what I think that means? I think he jumped out of that tree. Oh, yeah, he jumped out of that tree. The king of kings who's walking up and down these dusty trails, casting out devils, healing people, multiplying loaves of bread, walking on water. This man has said, I want you to come down. And he even invited himself to my house. I mean, he didn't even ask Jesus if he wanted to come. Jesus, Jesus said, look, get down here. I'm coming now. He jumped out of that tree and went there. And I don't know if the house was ready, if he ran before and was tossing stuff in the closets like people do. I mean, getting ready for the king. Jesus is coming. Get the house together. He's doing all of this. But when Jesus comes, everything was changed. That's my point. It's one thing to see Jesus from the branches of a tree. It's another thing to have him in your house. If you have him in your house, that's totally different. Changes everything. Young lady one time was working in South Africa, a little black lady, and she had to walk a lot of miles either way to get to her job and to get home. 
Well, this young lady one day is walking home and God speaks to her heart and said, I want you to go to that house right there. Walk down that long driveway, knock on that door and witness to them people and tell them about Jesus. Well, this was the time of apartheid. And if you were a black African, you certainly didn't go walk up to the front door of the house owned by someone that was white. So she went around to the back, knocked on the door and servant came and opened up the door, said, what do you want? She said, well, I'm, I want to talk to the owners here. I want to have a, have a message for them. Went and got the lady of the house. The lady came and talked kind of rough to the little lady. She could obviously see she was a worker. And at that time, you had to be home before curfew during the part hat. So, so uh, she said, what can I do for you? What do you want? The lady said, well, I was walking and Felt like the Lord told me to come here. Well, they had guests at the house. Music and everything was playing. So she knew that it was a busy time. So the lady probably didn't want to sit there with her too long. But she invited the woman in, sat her down. And the lady started telling the woman all about Jesus. And afterwards, she just said, you wait here. I'm going to get my husband. Got her husband. He comes, sits down. He tells her, tell me what you told my wife. She tells them the story of the gospel, witnesses to them. They both start crying. And they talked about how their life was in turmoil and in such distress. Bad news about terminal illness and things like that in one of their bodies. And said they decided because everything was so bad that what they would do, this one final fling, they'd gather all of their friends, put on the biggest, most lavish party they've ever had, bring in all of this music. And then once the party was done, then they both were going to commit suicide. And here's this woman, comes along the side of the road, feels compelled or divinely coerced in her heart to go to that house and witnesses and changes their lives in a few moments' time. And they went on and became great workers for the Lord Jesus there in South Africa. It's one thing to see Jesus from the branches of the tree. It's another thing to see Jesus and bring him into your home. But so much better to have Jesus in your heart. Yeah. You can have a Bible in your house on the shelf and not have Jesus in your heart. Many people do. But to have Christ in your life, that's what brings all the blessings and changes all the behavior. I, I won't take a poll of, uh, of you in here right now, but I guarantee you if I were to ask how many of you at one time or another had some kind of substance abuse problem, raise your hand. I guarantee there'd be a hand or hands that would go up. If I were to say to you, some of you in here that may have had a problem with alcohol at one time of your life, raise your hand or hands, hands or something would go up. If I said how many of you at some time in your life were promiscuous at one point, hands would go up. I say, who had foul language and vulgar speech? Somewhere or another, hands would go up. If I were to ask how many of you thought you were as good as everybody else, didn't feel like you needed God and were just self-righteous, just thought you always knew God, that you never knew anything about sin, I'm sure there'd be hands that would go up. But here's my point. When Jesus comes into that house, he changes everything. And what makes all of us so different, our backgrounds and our testimony, but what unites us and makes us all the same, the blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus.
So because of that, we can rejoice and be glad about it. Yeah, this man Zacchaeus showed us a good, good example. What are you willing to do for the king? How far are you willing to go if you want to see the Lord? I told someone this morning in church, they had driven up from another town in Kansas, and the wife had said to me after I ministered, she said, you know, it's the first time I've ever been here, but you know, you really do know how to keep somebody awake. <laughs> yeah, I said, well, I, I try. I said, if I would have seen your teenager drifting off or going to sleep, I probably would have threw a hymn book at him. Yeah, I said, I, I, I keep, keep, keep you awake. I said, there are a lot of places where you can go. The preacher puts you to sleep. But I said, it's, it's not about the preacher. It's about you. It's about your approach to the word of God. It's about your approach in the house of God. When you come to church, what do you expect to hear? Do you come ready to hear? And not to see what God's going to say to the person next to you, but what is God going to say to your heart? What is he saying to you? And if you hear what God is saying in the midst of your storm, you'll find the blessing that you need. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand. Praise God. How wonderful it is to have a man like Zacchaeus who is honest and earnest. Yeah. What is it that God used to draw you to him? What is it that God had to work with in your life to start drawing you closer to him to get you to think more about him. Would you have really climbed a tree like this man did if you had to? Wow, gosh. Would you have jumped up on top of a car, stood on top of a horse just to get a glimpse of Jesus as he was coming by? The things that we're willing to do are the things very often that lead God to produce great miracles in our life. And I want you to remember that throughout this week. I want to pray for you now as we get ready to fellowship, but never forget, God wants you to help somebody else see Jesus in a clear way. Let's pray. Father, when you look at us tonight, what do you see? What kind of hearts do you see? What kind of families, individuals do you see? Do you see people that really want to magnify you and lift you up in such a way that you are visible? And do you see people that are willing to lift others out of the gutter of sin and out of depression, sorrow, so that they can have a clear conception of you? Use each one of us to do that. And Father, as we serve you and as you build your church here in Thayer County, and as you multiply the number of true Christians there are so that the churches would be flooded with people that love you, we're going to continue to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen.